I choose to say. Our, pro- our topic tonight in the Is God For Real series is will justice be done? And a lot of people today are crying out for justice in one way or another. You'll see it on Facebook. You'll see it on the evening news. Maybe within your own family, you're looking for justice to be done. And people wonder, when will justice be done? There seems to be so much injustice. And uh, if I was to say to you all here, how many of you would like for justice to be done in the earth? Most of you would say, yeah, we want that to happen. We want justice to be done. If I reframe the question and said, how many of you here think there should be a day of judgment, a day of reckoning? Maybe few of you are are saying, yeah, we want that to happen. And then if I were to ask the question, how many of you would like your own lives to be judged? That's probably a smaller number even even still, right? But do we realise that in order for justice to be done, a judgement has to occur? It's interesting that we tend to like the word justice, but we don't like the word judgment. And yet, in order for justice to be done, a judgment has to occur. You know, we look at uh, stories sometimes, you see these, uh, these massacres that take place in, in America, in the schools and in various places. I remember the one in Las Vegas where 500 people were shot just incredible. Um, how is justice to be done in those circumstances? We sometimes think about Port Arthur where 35 people died between, I think it was April 28 to April 29 in 1996. Because we're here in Australia, we sort of turn our minds back to, to that event and the people who lost their lives on that day in a massacre. And uh, just last year, the newspaper uh, Daily Telegraph was saying, Port Arthur Massacre, a horror that still Haunts a, nation, haunts a nation 21 years on. And you sort of think about the fact that, you know, if there was, if an individual kills 35 people, however will justice be done in that situation? I mean, you could lock a guy up for life. We don't have the death penalty in this country, but even if you had the death penalty and you, you decided that that crime was worthy of death and you put to death that person, how does that deliver justice for the 35 who have died who were innocent? It seems to me, and I've sort of looked at this over a period of time, and if there is no God in the universe, there will never be any justice. Because only if there's a God in the universe can there be compensation for the victim and punishment for the perpetrator. You see, even though 35 people might have lost their lives, in the biblical model, the God of heaven is able to resurrect those people. He's able to bring them back to life. In other words, he can compensate people for what they've lost. If there is no God, there is no resurrection. And so we want to talk about justice tonight, and we can talk about lots of cases of injustice. Perhaps one of the greatest cases of injustice was the trial of Jesus, where Jesus was tried and convicted and sentenced to death, not having committed a crime. And even his judge, which was Pontius Pilate in that case, 
said, I find no fault in him. But the jury, the crowd, cried out, crucify him, crucify him, and he was sent to his death. And so God knows all about injustice. In fact, uh, even in the Bible, in the book of Habakkuk, the Bible has these sentiments clearly um, portrayed. It says here, therefore the Lord, this is Habakkuk 1.4, he says, therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. He's lamenting the fact that there's no justice. We want to know tonight, is there a time when God is going to deliver justice? That's what we want to know. And the Bible tells us this. In uh, the book of Acts 17, 31, it says, He has appointed a day, this is Paul speaking, he says, He, that's God, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Paul says here that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. When, now when he says he will, is that past, present or future? It's future, isn't it? Paul is saying he's appointed a day, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. Now what's interesting about that is Paul is writing decades after the cross. Right? When Paul is speaking here, he is speaking decades after the cross and Paul is saying there is a judgment, God has appointed a day of judgment, but it's still yet future. You follow that? Paul is saying it's still yet future from his perspective. He says he'll judge the world in righteousness. What does that mean? What that simply means is that when God judges, he will judge rightly. In other words, he's not going to make any errors, he's not going to make any mistakes. You know, in our um, earthly legal systems, we have the gathering of evidence. There is a judge, there's a jury, and the decisions are made about whether a person is guilty or not guilty. But no judge on earth, no jury on earth has all the evidence. They have a certain amount of evidence, they conduct an investigation, they gather the evidence and on that evidence they base their decision but they don't have all of the evidence. And there have been cases where there have been miscarriages of justice because based on the evidence they had they made a call and they turned out later when more evidence was available they discovered that that call was wrong. So there have been miscarriages of justice but the Bible says here he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. That means God has access to all the evidence. There is nothing that escapes his gaze. So when God judges, he's not guessing. He's not saying beyond reasonable doubt. When God judges, he's judging in righteousness because he gets it right, because he knows all the circumstances of every individual. And it says he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, of course, that is Jesus Christ. He's the one who has risen from the dead. Okay? So he's, Paul is talking about that there's a day in which he's going to do this. In um, 2 Timothy, Paul again is writing here before he was speaking and it was being recorded by Luke in Acts. Here Paul is actually writing to his brother Timothy and he says, Finally, there is laid up for me 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, there it is again, he's the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Okay, so Paul is saying the righteous judge is going to give him a crown of righteousness on that day. And not only to him, but all who have loved his appearing. Well, when we talk about justice being done, the challenge for us is that I'm sure if we had conversations, we'd discover that every one of us has been wronged by some other person, either in word or in deed. We've all been wronged by somebody. We've all suffered some kind of injustice. But I also imagine that it's possible that if every one of us were examined, we'd all have committed injustices in our lives by our speech, by our actions. And in fact, we said before in one of our previous presentations, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that makes us a little nervous because this verse says here, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, Paul is writing again, he's writing here to a church. He's writing to the church at Corinth. I've actually been to the ruins of the city of Corinth. And Paul is saying, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he, he must include Christians in that because he is himself a Christian. And he's saying, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that, we then start to get a little bit nervous <laughs> because we've got to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. However, here's the good news. As we mentioned in the plan of salvation when we talked about born to live forever in our last presentation, we talked about the fact that though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus has come, he's lived a perfect life and then he has died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And if we accept that payment for our sins, then we are declared not guilty. And that's what we must have. You see, in order for us to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we need to appear with Christ as our representative. And when we do that, we can have full confidence that we can stand before the judgment seat of Christ with Christ as our Representative. The Bible says, again, Romans 14, 12, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Well, where is this judgment scene going to take place? The Bible actually describes it for us in Daniel chapter 7. We're going back again to that Old Testament book of Daniel and this uh, prophecy where it talks about this judgment scene. Notice what it says here in Daniel 7, 9 and 10. He says... I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. The Ancient of Days is simply a reference to God the Father. Okay, this is a reference to God the Father. The Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. 
It says 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. There are all these angelic beings surrounding the throne of God as God takes his seat. And it says the court was seated and the books were open. It's describing this heavenly judgment scene. Heavenly judgment scene. Notice what happens next. Daniel 7 verse 13, it says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. So here we have a picture of Jesus. In fact, you will notice if you read through the New Testament, through the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus often refers to himself as the Son of Man. And it says here, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he comes to the Ancient of Days. So you have this picture of Jesus, the Son of Man, coming before the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, in this heavenly judgment scene. And the reason that he does that is Jesus is representing humanity to God the Father. And the reason that's important for us is we can either choose to have Jesus represent us or we can reject Jesus from representing us. But Jesus wants to represent you and I before the Father and claim his innocence or rather credit us with his innocence having died for our sin. And that is described there in the book of Daniel, this heavenly judgment scene. And we know from Paul that this heavenly judgment scene takes place in the future from Paul's time. Paul is saying there is a day on which God will judge the world in righteousness. So it's future from Paul's time, but it must happen before the second coming because at the second coming all the rewards are given out. And we'll see that a little later. So here's a good question. Why does God need a judgment? Why would that be necessary? Why would God do that? What's the purpose of the judgment? Doesn't God know everything? You know, we have some interesting words to describe God, which is uh, uh, omniscient, that's all-knowing, omnipresent, that's everywhere, Uh, omnipotent, that's all-powerful, omnipotent. But why does God need a judgment? If God knows everything, can't he just sort of decide when at the second coming we'll sort out who's who? Yes, God knows everything, but he's also aware of the fact that other beings in the universe don't know everything. And God is being what we would all love to see in a leader. He's being transparent. Don't we want, don't we hear calls for our politicians to be more transparent? in their dealings with with us and with each other. Here God is being completely transparent. He is saying that this is the evidence of what I have done in the world and in the universe in order to save people. You see, we read in uh, one of our previous presentations that there was a war in heaven. That Michael and his angels fought and the dragon and his angels fought and the dragon and his angels were cast out from heaven. In fact, the Bible says a third of the angels of heaven were cast out. And they were cast out for rebelling against God, i.e. they were cast out because they sinned against God. Now God is saying, human beings who have sinned against me, I'm going to bring them up to heaven. 
And you could imagine in the minds of the angelic beings, the thousands of them that surround the, the throne of God, they might be asking, hang on, didn't you cast the devil and his angels out for sinning? How is it that you can bring sinners back into the fold of heaven? And God is demonstrating how he is able to save humanity and bring us back to heaven through his grace. You see, God is, through Christ, because Christ died on the cross, he's claiming that he can forgive our sins. If we accept Christ in, his, in our place, he pays the price for our sin. I mentioned before that imagine you've got a bill that you can't pay. God has agreed to pay your bill for you. And if God pays your bill for you, you have nothing more to pay. On the other hand, if God doesn't pay your bill for you, if you say, no thanks, I'll pay my own bill, well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And God is trying to save us from that eternal fate. So God is not only saying, I've sent my son to die for them, and they have accepted that, and their lives demonstrate that they've accepted that. In other words, remember we talked about conversion, that we're running from God, but because of conversion, we're now walking with God. And the hosts of heaven, the entire universe, in fact, who's still loyal to God, this is the only planet in rebellion. The whole universe is looking down on planet Earth and they can see God has changed that person's life. God has changed that person's life. Notice what the Bible says here. Paul is writing again. He says, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, Last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Now, just go back there a minute. When he uses that word spectacle, he's not talking about the glasses that some of you are wearing. That word in Greek is theatron. And it's the word from which we get our word theatre. In fact, some Bible translations will say theatre. We have been made a theatre to the world, both to angels to the men, and to men. We're actually a theatre to the universe. That God is able to save humanity through Christ, our acceptance of him, and that when, then we are able to choose to walk with God and he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to do that. And we become, if you like, part of the evidence of God restoring harmony to the universe. Paul is writing again, he said to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that's the people who have accepted Christ, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. In other words, God's wisdom is going to be known by what he has done in those who have chosen to accept Christ. Well, if we look at this heavenly courtroom drama, and we were to compare it with a courtroom drama down here. I'm sure that you've all seen courtroom dramas on TV and in the movies, right? And there's always a defence, there's always a judge, and there's always the prosecution, right? And likewise, in the heavenly scenario of the judgment, there is a defence, there is a judge, and there is a prosecution. So we want to know who that is. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2, 1, Notice what it says here. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate there simply means one who speaks on behalf of another. One who stands on behalf of another. That's what an advocate is. He's our defence. In effect, Jesus is our defence lawyer. John writes here, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, so we have an advocate. Who is the advocate? Who's the defence? Jesus is our defence. Well, what about the judge? I guess most people would say, well, the judge has to be God the Father, right? That would be the logical idea that God is the judge. However, I want you to notice the words of Jesus in the book of John. John 5.22, it says, Jesus says, for the Father judges no one. That's a remarkably surprising statement for Jesus to make, right? These are the words of Jesus. I mean, don't take my word for it, but he says, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now, I I hope you're grasping what that means because if Jesus is our advocate and Jesus is our judge, how can you lose? Right? How could you lose in the judgment if Jesus is your defence and he's the judge? I I say hallelujah to, to that. That is really, really good news. Because if you have Jesus, you have all you need in the judgment. Right? Jesus is all you need in the judgment because he's your defence lawyer and he's the judge. He's the one who decides the case. This is incredibly good news. The only sensible thing at this point would be to do, would be to say, I want Jesus in my corner. I want Jesus to represent me. He's the advocate, he's the judge. And then, of course, who's the prosecution, right? Who's the accuser? And again, sadly, I think that if you were to ask that, most, well, many people would probably say, God is the accuser, he's the prosecution. He's the one saying, you're guilty. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us who the prosecution is. In fact, in Revelation 12.10, It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Now we know who the one was who was cast down. That's the dragon, the devil, Satan, that serpent of old. He's the one who is the accuser. Now, the devil... You remember the, the serpent of old in the garden? He tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God, to sin against God. And then he turns them in for doing it. So he's a real mean sort of character. He will tempt you to do the wrong thing and then he'll point at you and say, see what they did? So he's the accuser. He's the one who's constantly accusing. Because he's basically saying to God, You cast me out of heaven for rebelling. How can you possibly take these people who rebelled against you back to heaven? The devil's accusation is, number one, you can't forgive them. And number two, well, number one, it's impossible to obey you. Number two, you can't forgive them when they've disobeyed you. And Jesus answered both of those accusations. Jesus demonstrated that it's possible to obey God down here in human flesh. 
Jesus did it. And he also demonstrated through his death on the cross that it's possible for him to forgive us. So he defeated the devil's accusations. But the one who accuses them day and night, that is the enemy, that is the devil, or the one we call Satan. So in the heavenly judgment, there is a defence, that's Jesus. There is a judge, that's Jesus. And there is a prosecution, that's the devil. Now, the thing about the devil is when he accuses you of sins, he's not falsely accusing you. I mean, he could do that, right? He could make stuff up. But he doesn't need to because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news about the judgment is Jesus says, I will take your place. I will pay the price for your sins. I will stand in the judgment as your representative. And what's better... I make the judgment on the case. So that's in fantastic news. Now somebody will say, but don't believers escape the judgment? And the answer to that question is yes and no. Let's have a read of what the scripture says. This is the uh, New King James Bible. Notice what it says here. Most assuredly, these are the words of Jesus again, John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. All right? Seems very plain there. He's not going to come into judgment. However, I want you to notice this word that has been translated judgment in the English language. You realise that the Bible was not originally written in English. That's come as a shock to some people I know. The Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek, and this is the New Testament, so it would have been Greek. I want you to notice what the King James Version uses for that word. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death into life. In other words, once we have accepted Christ, we don't come into the negative consequences of the judgment. You understand? But I just want you to notice here, he has passed from death to life. How has somebody passed from death to life? Well, a judgment has been made. Does that make sense? In other words, a decision has been made that you have passed from death to life. So you do come into judgment in a positive sense. But what it's really saying here is you won't come into condemnation for your sins because you've chosen Jesus who's died for your sins on the cross. Does that make sense? Okay. Because notice what this says, Romans 8, 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're now walking with God. We're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus has saved us. Notice what other verses in the Bible tell us about this. Clearly we're all involved in this judgment. We're just either going to be judged righteous based on Jesus' righteousness or wicked based on our own wickedness. Psalm 135, 14, it says, For the Lord will judge his people. Wow, okay. The Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on his servants. Now, do you understand here that when God judges his people, that's a good thing? Did you get that from reading that verse? The Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on his servants. In other words, 
this ties judgment from God to a positive thing. Just like we've passed from death to life. Here's another one. This is uh, Psalm 35, 24. In the King James Version, it says, Judge me. This is David speaking, by the way. David, and David had committed some sins. You'd hardly know it when you read the Bible after the death of David because God just says, Where's David, my servant, who can do no wrong? You know what I love about God? Is when you have been forgiven by God, he treats you like you've never sinned at all. God is so gracious that he says, where's my son David who can do no wrong? Have you read what David did? But praise God when God forgives us and cleanses us and adopts us into his family, he regards us as though we've never sinned. And that's incredible. Judge me. This is David. He says, judge me, O Lord my God, according to thy righteousness and let them not rejoice over me. David is keen, he's eager for God to judge him. Because judgment has a positive connotation for those who have accepted God and are following him. Here's here's in the New King James uh, Bible, and this sort of puts it a little clearer. Vindicate me, O Lord my God, he says. According to your righteousness. God is vindicating us, not because we're good, but because Jesus is good. And if we accept Christ, then we accept his righteousness as well. 1 Peter 4.17, it says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Clearly everybody's involved in the judgment. We read earlier, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Ecclesiastes 12.14, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And like I said, without Christ, we're in trouble because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are going to give an account for the lies we told, for the deeds that we did, for the deceptions we carried out, for the times we did wrong to others. But we can have all of that forgiven if we bring it to Christ. Well, in Daniel 7.10, we read this before, talking about this heavenly judgment scene. It says, The court was seated and the books were opened. Well, which books were opened? I'm kind of thinking that when it says the books were opened, what that's really referring to is there are books of records in heaven. But I'm sure that God has a more efficient uh, data recording method than books, right? Because we certainly have more efficient data recording methods than books these days. But they used the word books so that we would understand it back then when they wrote it. Which books? In Malachi it says this, Then those who feared the Lord, that's those who respect the Lord, spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. A book of remembrance is written for all the good things that are said and done. Notice what it says here. This is again uh, David in Psalm 56, 8. It says, You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not written in your book? God records the, the details of our lives. So there's a book of remembrance of 
the faithful acts of the saints. In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, notice what it says here. But I say to you, these are the words of Jesus, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I talk a lot. Um, and I read that and I'm thinking, I need to be careful about the words that I use. You know, the average person speaks enough words in one week to fill a book of 320 pages. How many weeks have you been alive? That's a lot of books, right? That's a lot of books. And so there is a book, a book of iniquity or a book of things that we have transgressed in. There's a book of iniquity that is recorded. And then it says, uh, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. In other words, these books of evidence are used to, to determine whether you've accepted Christ or not. This, this evidence is available to the onlooking universe. Revelation 3.5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Here's another book, the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So there is the book of life. And basically, all of us, I'm sure, have done some things that end up in the book of remembrance. All of us have done some things that end up in the book of iniquity. But the important thing is, is your name written in the book of life? And you can only get your name written in the book of life if you've accept Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's where we have to be. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and give, uh, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. This verse kind of reminds me of a message in the book of Revelation that we'll read later. Fear God and keep his commandments. The, other, the verse in Revelation says, fear God and give glory to him, for this is man's all, and then God will bring every work into judgment whether good or evil. What's the standard in the judgment? How, how do we measure whether somebody has transgressed the law or not? How, how do we measure whether they've done good or not? The Bible says in James 2.12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And it's about the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in our later session tonight. But the Ten Commandments, the law of God, is the standard by which we are measured in terms of our behaviour. And notice what it says here. It's called, we're judged by the law of liberty. In other words, uh, this, the law of God is not meant to bind us up. It's actually to, to, we're freer when we obey than we are when we don't. So the question is, whose side are we on? Whose side are we on? You know, Jesus said, to his disciples, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We mentioned already that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in desperate need of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But when we have accepted that, God is calling us to be willing to walk in his ways, to follow Christ, and to be obedient and to do the will 
of the Father in heaven. We can't just say, Lord, Lord, and still keep living like the devil. There should be a change. Well, when does this judgment begin? We read earlier that Paul had written that from his perspective, living in the mid-first century AD, he says God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. So it was future from his perspective. But there's actually a Bible verse in the book of Revelation. There's a, a, a series of messages called the three angels' messages. We met, mentioned these before when we talked about the signs of the times. But in this first angel's message, I want you to notice what it says. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. This goes all the way around the world. Saying with a loud voice, in the Greek, the word for loud voice is megalaphone, which sounds like what? Megaphone, right? It says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Sounds very much like Ecclesiastes. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. So here it's telling us this message that goes out just before Jesus returns, because by the way, this is Revelation 14, 6 and 7, There are three angels' messages. They finish at verse 12. In verse 14, Jesus comes. Jesus is pictured coming in verse 14. So these three angels' messages go to all the world just before Jesus comes. And the first of them says, the hour of his judgment has come. So what we know is that it takes place future of where Paul is living, but before the second coming. Notice in Revelation 22, 12, talking about the coming of Jesus, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. When Jesus returns in the clouds of glory, he's bringing rewards with him. He's handing out the rewards. So at that point, a judgment must already have taken place because he's rewarding people according to their works. So it takes place after Paul, after the cross, a specific time, the hour of his judgment has come, and before the second coming. That's when the judgment takes place. I can tell you, after a careful study of the prophecies of the Bible, that we are living in the time of the judgment now. All of the cases, from the cases of Adam and Eve all the way through for all the people that have lived and died, all the way up to the present time, judgment has taken place. We who are alive, well, there's going to be some people alive when Jesus comes, right? So their cases must be decided while they're still living because Jesus is going to come back and there are going to be people alive at that time. So we can decide. Right now, the court's still in session right? Jesus has not yet returned. The court is still in session. We still have an opportunity. The world still has an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our defence and as our judge in the heavenly judgment. That's what God wants for us to do. Maybe we could describe the judgment like this. We've talked about the fact that for those who accept Christ, the judgment is super good news. 
And maybe we would explain it like this. Imagine you've been arrested and you've been put in a prison cell and you are waiting for your day in court, right? Now, I'd like to say that you've been arrested but you didn't commit the crime, you're innocent, you're waiting for your day in court because you're innocent. The reality is you've committed the crime. (laughs) You're in prison, you're awaiting your day in court. You've been arrested, you've been caught, you're awaiting your day in court. Your defence lawyer drops by to visit you while you're in prison, waiting for your day in court. He says to you, he says, I have good news for you. I've spoken to the judge and I can guarantee when your name comes up in the judgment, in the court, when the date is set and you come before the judge, you will be declared not guilty. Are you happy to hear that? Sure, why? Because on that day, you know you're free, right? So in other words, what I'm trying to say is the judgment is extraordinarily good news for those who have accepted Christ. Because he is the defence, he is the judge, and he's saying to you, I guarantee you when your name comes up in judgment, you will be declared righteous because of me. Fantastic news. And this is why in the Bible, in that passage in Daniel chapter 7 that describes that heavenly judgment scene, notice what it says here. It says, until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. In other words, this judgment is going to be made in favour of the saints. You ever wondered how to become a saint? It's not a difficult process. (laughs) We just have to... Claim the merits of Jesus Christ. We become a follower of Jesus Christ. The saints, if you read the Bible, the saints are those who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's who the saints are. And it says, a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High. I don't know your life. I know mine. And if I was to stand before the judge of all the earth without a defence, I'd be in trouble. But because of what Jesus has done for me and what he has offered me through the plan of salvation, through his standing for me as my advocate, through dying for me for the sins that I've committed, through standing as the judge in heaven, I know that he's accepted my case. And he'll accept your case too. How many of you want to say, Lord, accept my case in the judgment? Me too. 